You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. It's so good to be with you, and this is our last uh, part of the series of this short like mini-series through just asking questions about who the church is, who we are, and how do we get along, and why do we gather, and what do we do, and, and all that stuff. And so today we're asking the question, what is our future? Uh, how does it end, uh, or does it end? And, you know, if we're asking questions like, who are we, and where do we start? We go to Genesis, and, and if we're wanting to get a picture of what do we look forward to, uh, we go to Revelation. That's one of the places we go. And so today we're going to Revelation 21. Uh, starting in verse 1 uh, through 7. Why don't we read our passage for this morning? Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. And here, the Apostle John gives a picture inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, on what we are to look forward to, what will happen in the future. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I'll be his God, and he will be my son. This is God's word. Well, this is an important question to ask, isn't it? You know, what do we look forward to? What's coming? Uh, what can we know and, and what really we, we can't know? But when we, when we know how things end, when we know how things will end, it changes the way we live our current life. The Bible gives us a compelling preview of the things that are yet to come. When we know that God is undefeated and undefeatable, when he cannot be beat, it builds us, it builds trust in our life for God and what he says. When we know that we have a God who says uh, things to us and promises to us, and he has never gone back on a single promise, and he does exactly what he says he will do, well, that'll build trust to follow him. When we know that the, what quality awaits us who trust in Jesus, the quality of life, eternal life, uh, we can wait with joyful anticipation and longing that the best is yet to come for the church. I remember a, a handful of years ago when we were putting new carpet in our home. The old carpet was just in, you know, horrible in shape and installed by the previous owners of the home, maybe they're eight, 10 years or more. And I'm working from home that day, as most people were, you know, in 2020 and 2021. And, and the installers come, and there's like 50 years of installation experience between the two of them. Um, still managed to screw up a corner, but whatever. And, and, and I'm sitting there, and, and I just love to, I love to, when people come and work, I love to learn, you know, 
what they do and how they do it. And, and I'm, I'm just watching them and talking to them. And one of these guys who's been doing it for 27 years, I say, you know, you must really love this. You've been doing this your, your whole adult life. You've been installing carpet. You know, what do you love most about it? And he said, you know, what I really love most is like when homeowners just kind of stand over my shoulder and <laughs> watch me work and ask me questions. And <laughs> No, he doesn't say that, but here's what he said. And it, stuck, it just stood with me because it was, so, it was so beautiful, actually. He said, you know, every job is an opportunity to make something old and worn out brand new. Every job is an opportunity to take something that's just been beat down and broken and diminished and, and, and just nasty and just to make it new, really to, to make it as it was intended to be. And he has so much joy and satisfaction in doing that. And restoration is inspiring. Uh, it has inspired, like, uh, I think a generation of just, you know, of, of, uh, DIY stuff and, and home improvement shows. And I mean, it just has, for years, it flooded just like daytime television of how to take something old and broken and that was discarded and how to make it special and new. And that's, that's in us. We long for that kind of future. We, we are created to, to long for this because that is our destiny. We came from a place of perfection and that was lost, and our hearts long for that kind of restoration. And we look around in the world for it. We, we try to improve ourselves in different ways, and, it's, and, and, and yet we're not fully satisfied. We, we long for a world that is not in chaos. We long for a world that's in peace. And this is exactly what God promises to those who trust in him. You know the Bible never shies away from topics of suffering and sadness and longing and pain. It never does. It never dismisses our pain. It never uh, finds the silver lining in our suffering. It, it never ignores it. It would be like the, the carpet installer saying, yeah, this carpet is really, really bad, but what you need to do is just reposition the furniture. You know, get some, get some greenery in here. It'll distract from what's going on on the carpet. He never does that. What, what they say is, this has got to be ripped out. The old has to be replaced. And we can do that. And that's what the Bible does. The Bible doesn't look at what is bad in our world and say, well, let's look on the bright side. Let's, let's kind of shine this up a little bit and, and see how we can uh, take a, a bad thing and make it a good thing. No, the Bible says like, God is, is fully involved in a restoration project to getting rid of the old, to taking it out, and to bringing in the new and putting it the way it's supposed to be. The Bible never dismisses our present struggles. And we're in the midst of that. We're, our bodies and our world and, and, and even creation itself is in the midst of this need for it. But what the Bible does do is acknowledges our reality, acknowledges it with great truth, and tells us it's not supposed to be this way, and then gives us this compelling picture of the future by which we are to live our present lives. So we have this view of the future, something that is coming, a reality for us who trust in Jesus, for the church, and that ought to compel us to live a certain way now with great joy and expectation. And, and the future reality, we'll look at a few of these for today that I think will help uh, impact how we live today. And, and here's one, the future reality of the church is this, that the church will not perish, but it will thrive. The church is not going anywhere. 
Now, there is this interesting phrase that I have heard from time to time. Maybe you have heard it too. And the phrase, I think, is meant to stir up an, an urgency for discipleship and uh, to teach the faith to the next generation. And it's a great, compelling argument if you're looking for volunteers in kids' ministry and things like that. And here's the phrase. The church is always one generation away from extinction. You heard that? Maybe not. Do you believe that? This is not a biblical idea. The, the biblical idea is actually quite the opposite. The church, as the Bible would describe it, is always one generation closer to being our, living in our perfect future reality. Every generation, we are closer to realizing the fulfillment of God's promises. We are not one generation away from being extinct. It will never happen. Revelation 21 pictures this, a, a city, a, a city whose inhabitants are the people of God, the people who have been called out of darkness, brought together in Christ, dwell with God for all of eternity. This is the church, thriving as the church. It's, it, it, thriving is more than just personal salvation. Our understanding of God's work through Jesus must go beyond this idea that we go to heaven when we die. It's not less than that. It's so much more, though. The future of the church is more than a story of your personal salvation. The future of the church is an all-encompassing purpose of God for all of creation. Even heaven and earth will be transformed. The Bible speaks of this forever relationship with God that is not an escape from the world, but where human life in its relational and creational context is restored to its intended purpose. We will thrive. It is God's promise. Have you imagined what life would look like and will look like in this future reality? Look again at Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We can't remember a time where we were unaffected by sin. We can't remember a time where we were truly free from pain, mourning, and suffering, and sorrow and longing, and unmet needs. We can't remember a time when creation was as it was supposed to be. Think about it. As for our bodies, no more physical pain. No more death. As for relationships with others, every relationship will be pure. Every relationship. There will not be any degrading. There will not be any conflict. We will not be using, betraying, idolizing anyone. We will never have any desire at all to engage in relational pain. We will never be the recipient of relational pain. No one will be annoying in heaven. Imagine that. <laughs> no one. There'll be no personal attacks, um, no ill-informed biases, no prideful motives, none of that. Our relationship with Jesus will be different. We will never do anything, we would never want to do anything behind his back, even if we could. 
We would never keep anything from him. We'll never believe in lies. We will believe the truth. We will know the truth. It says we will, we will know him as he knows us. And we will truly know we will be one with him. We will know him the way he knows us in, in all of its beauty. We'll experience a love that we have, haven't even dreamed of. As for creation, I mean, no pollution, no defect of any kind in any person or thing, none of that. Temptation's gone, there'll be innocence, the, the complete absence of sin, there'll be righteousness through the presence of the righteousness of Christ. God will never withdraw his holiness from us. Everything will be as it is intended to be. Grief from losing a loved one will be gone. Pain from the memories of abuse will be gone. Work, the constant work of fighting temptations in your heart will be gone. Evil and injustice will all be gone. We will cry no longer, not because we've just finally became mature. We will cry no longer because there will be nothing that will ever cause us sadness. And this is what awaits us. This, is, this will happen for the church. This is what thriving looks like. This is what peace looks like. And this is the promise of God. This is the future. This is what awaits us who trust in Jesus. The future of the church is, is beautiful. And it won't be about just what will be different in our life, but it'll be about who will be there with us. And this is that beautiful picture. We, the church will never be alone, but will always be in the presence of God. Not only will we have this tremendous uh, feeling of joy and peace and the absence of sorrow completely, but that someone will be there with us. It will be God in our midst, with us. We're told a, a day is coming where a loud voice will be heard from the throne of Christ, which says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with you. And he will be with you and you will be with him. There will never be any relational distance that you feel now where you feel like he's not close. There'll no longer be any, any relating to God from a distance. There'll, there'll be no hesitation to approach him because of your sin, because there will be none of that. No more confusion as to his affection or love for you because you will be certain of it because he will be there. You will know it. A day is coming for the church where being with God will feel like the most natural feeling that you have ever felt. It will feel like this is what you were created to feel, is to be with him. And here's the real interesting part of all that as, as this is being told to us, is how this is, will come to be, how this will happen. It will come to us graciously. It'll come to us not of our own doing. It will come to us because of the kindness of God. You see here in verse five where the angel says, mid-sentence, God also says this. He says, Write this down. This is really important. What does that mean? Like the other stuff wasn't important? No, this, he says, write this part down. It's trustworthy and true. And so he's just pausing here mid-sentence and says, I, I really want you to get this. I want you to get this. Here's the verse, and I'll explain it. He says in verse five, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I'll give from the spring of water of life without payment. The future reality that awaits the church will not be because of human effort or character. 
or righteous record. The new reality will be built not on our moral record, but on the gospel promises of God. It will be on the perfect record of Christ. It will be uh, because of his sacrifice, his righteousness. The default of the human heart is to find our salvation in the, th- the should and shouldn'ts. You know what I'm talking about? I should do this. I really shouldn't do that. I, I, I really should obey more. I should master my sin. I should be a better Christian. I really shouldn't be involved in that thing in my life. And how we answer the shoulds and shouldn'ts, that's when we feel like most confident in our relationship with God. Are you a Christian today because you sorted out your life because you, or because you put your faith in Jesus who loved you without end? who loved you in spite of your failures. And one of the most fundamental mistakes a person can make is to look to rules to find ourselves in the presence of God. How do we get in this presence? How do we get in this presence? It is acknowledging the kindness of God to give himself for us, to trust in him, to surrender our life to him, acknowledging that there is no amount of our effort that can get that. But then this angel says, write this down. This is important. The only thing that we are told to do to be in this presence is we just have to know that we are thirsty. To the thirsty, I will satisfy. I'll give living water. We don't earn God's love. We don't deserve God's love. But love is exactly what he pours upon his people. God looks at us in our helpless state and makes provision for us in our weakness and in our failures. He sends his son, Jesus. Jesus is born into our humanity, born under the law, lives as we should have lived and were commanded to live, but failed to live. He receives the law of God, he keeps it, and he lives up to its demands perfectly. And then he takes upon himself the guilt of us all, the guilt of our sin. And when he dies, he pays that penalty for sin. He pays it for us. He resurrects to new life and he intercedes for us now before the Father. He's preparing a place. The Bible says that he's preparing a place for you and I right now as we speak. This future that awaits for us, he's not just sitting idly up in heaven waiting for us. He's working on our behalf, in our lives, in creation. He's doing it now. And this means that we can come to God and say, God, I am not faithful. I have not been faithful. I am not trustworthy or loyal, but I trust in Jesus who succeeded in every way where I failed, who died the death I deserve to die, who rose again to give me life. And he'll return one day to bring me back to himself, to bring me home. We wait for that. And the great promise is this, I will be their God and they will be my people. That's the beautiful promise here. That's the culmination of this vision, this wonderful relationship that we have with God, the future reality, the future closeness with him. It, it, this changes how we live. It changes how we think. It changes how we engage in our world, even in the midst of brokenness. Finally, the church will await for this future reality with trust and joyful longing. This is how we wait, with trust and longing. I have never met a person who enjoyed the feeling of not having what they wanted. Anybody here like that? You just love not having what you want? No, it's horrible. Every person feels like 
a child feels when they're really thirsty and they forgot their water bottle at home. You know what I mean? I'm thirsty and I will die right now if I don't get a drop of water. Okay, parents, you understand? You with me? No, you can wait five minutes. No, I will die right now. I think that's how we feel when we don't get what we want. They just, they're just honest. <laughs> I'm dying of thirst. What makes waiting so difficult? What makes longing for satisfaction so difficult? It's not because we're living between two worlds, but I think it's actually because we're living in both at the same time. I think the reality for the church today is, is not that we're just stuck in the middle. We're actually in both. Let me explain that. God has put resurrection in our hearts. He's put the resurrection in our hearts and we've tasted the goodness of God. We've tasted heaven. We've tasted love. We have tasted acceptance. We have tasted eternal life and we want it all. And we want to be free from suffering, but we don't have it all. And we're stuck in this broken world where we're still feeling the effects of sin and the consequences of sin, which causes confusion and doubt and guilt and shame and, and wondering, well, maybe it's not worth waiting for. And we're stuck in both. So the restored kingdom, this perfect kingdom that John speaks of it, it has come, but it's also yet to come, right? Christ has purchased our healing, but there's parts of our lives that are very sick. He, he has passed from death to life, but we still die physically. We have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to be holy, but still our flesh and our spirit wage war against one another. We have been forgiven of our sins, but we still need to confess our sins and repent of them daily. We are citizens in the kingdom of God, but are exhorted for this time to submit to earthly powers and authorities. Every blessing of the age to come is already ours in heaven. We are told in Christ we have the resources of heaven and the promises of heaven and the riches of God are ours now. And yet we still wait to come into this inheritance truly. And so we're stuck, not in the middle, but in both realities. And this being in both worlds, it's meant to instruct us how we live today recognizing that we're in the midst of conflict, that we're living in both worlds. And in the midst of conflict, Jesus is saying this, I am working now. He's working now. To, he's working now in your life and in creation in ways that we can't fully comprehend or see all the time. And he's doing it all to get to this future reality. Every conflict that we see in our world, no matter what sphere it is in, whether it's in politics or in healthcare, or in education, or anything. It's all, God, he's saying, I'm working towards this future. And so that, that gives us, it, it exhorts us to be trusting of him. Even in the midst of suffering, he is working, and he will get us to this intended place. He is always working to move history towards the goal of the restored creation. He's never given up on his creation, and he never will. He refuses to surrender. He owns the universe and everything in it. And nothing good that he has promised will ever go missing. 
and nothing that is bad will ever be discovered in that new creation. We will not cease to be human, but we will be human in the way we were intended to be. And we're waiting for this full expression of it. And so we wait with longing, kind of with our, with our hearts and eyes kind of fixed on heaven in a way of just like, of, of longing for this satisfaction, but also in trust as we are, have our feet on this earth, living life, being good stewards, worshiping God, trusting in him, and waiting for his return. It changes the way that we encounter suffering in this world, things that we don't like. And the world crumbling in certain ways around us, we rem- we're reminded that he's working right now. Jesus is working still. And maybe the most simplest and best way to put it is from 18th century Christian theologian John Wesley, where he just says, the best is yet to be. And that's not a silver lining. That's our future reality. And that changes our hearts today as we wait and long for him. Trust him. Long for him. He will satisfy. He will satisfy you. It's coming soon. Whatever that means. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.